0: We made the decision to take a break from the Sermon on the Mount for the season of Lent in preparation for Holy Week and, of course, Easter's culmination. And we are going to spend some time meditating on the Psalms until then. Our focus is still going to be where we left off from the Sermon on the Mount, the passage that was read for our New Testament reading, which is Jesus introducing his teaching on the law that he did not come to abolish the law but to fulfill the law and we're going to look at some of the psalms that celebrate the law of God and as we do the the obvious and immediate application that will emerge is our failure to keep God's laws we celebrate God's law in the psalms we're going to be confronted with our failure to keep the law and this fits with lent lent is a season of repentance A time to reevaluate your heart and your life according to the will of God. And I would encourage all of us to take that seriously in the coming weeks. And we're going to let the Psalms be our guide through this season. Uh, The first one we're going to look at is Psalm 19. Uh, This beautiful Psalm, not just on the uh, beauty of the law of God, but also of creation. Let's give our attention to it. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. The voice goes out through all the earth. The words, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of heaven's and circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they, Than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. All men are like grass. Their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Our God, we come before you now in humble submission to your word. That last line is our prayer that the words of my mouth over the next few minutes and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight. That requires the work of your Holy Spirit. So as we do every week, we invite your presence, O Spirit, to come and anoint the preaching of your word and prepare the hearts of those who listen. Have your way with us, O God. We submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. There uh, There are certain lines from your children's childhood that you never forget. And there's one that my oldest said when he was younger, around my now youngest age, that perfectly describes the message of Psalm 19. We were playing in the park together in late afternoon. The sun was setting behind the clouds. It was just one of those uh, majestic sunsets. And all of a sudden, he stops playing, looks up at the sky, and just says, Wow, good job, God. And goes back to playing. To this very day, I often find myself using that simple childlike confession. Good job, God. When I'm struck by the beauty of God's creation. And if I could sum up Psalm 19 in three words, that's what it would be. Good job, God. Psalm 19 is a reflection on the glory of the Lord. On the different ways that he reveals himself to us. The words of God so to speak. And each is intended to end in his glory. Each is intended to evoke, good job, God. There are three here for us to explore this morning. Three words of the Lord that speak of the glory of the Lord. His creation, his scripture, and his image. Let's look at each. First, his creation. Look at the first verse of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, The sky above proclaims his handiwork. So according to David, this beautiful world that we all love is not aimlessly beautiful. Instead, its beauty is making a declaration and proclamation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky proclaims his handiwork. God is the creator of all things and all things at all times proclaim that this is so. Creation is speaking to us, telling a story for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Continuing on, it says, day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. That speech, those words, that voice Going forth over all the earth is what philosophers have been grasping to understand for centuries. Despite the more recent philosophical claim that there actually is no telos to discover, no grand purpose to existence, and that such questions are merely our way of coping with the meaninglessness of it all. And yet every single one of us, even the most committed existentialists, implicitly knows that this is a denial of what we know to be true. The reason we search for meaning is because there is meaning out there to be discovered. Creation is telling us something. We know this to be true. So what is it trying to tell us? Well, the claim here in the psalm is that creation is always echoing its creator. A helpful Exercise, philosophical exercise to discover this truth is to ask two simple questions of creation. What and why? What? Look at anything you see and ask, what is it? What is this pulpit? Well, it's wood. Extracted from trees. Okay, but what are trees? Well, hydrogen, carbon, oxygen, nitrogen. Yes, but what are these? Well, electrons and protons. Yes, but what are these? Well, these elementary particles that we're discovering. Yes, but what are these? Well, we don't know yet, but perhaps the next generation of scientists will answer that question. Great, ask them, what are those? Eventually, the question what? Eventually, this question will force us into one of two answers. Either the absurdity of everything is fashioned from nothing, or there is something, something transcendent behind all of it. Hebrews 11.3 says it like this. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What is visible was created from something invisible. Specifically, the words of God. What is everything made of? God's word. Everything you see is a word from the Lord. Behind the physical lies, these metaphysical truths. What is everything made of? God's word that spoke creation into existence and God's word that sustains existence in this very moment. Were he to stop speaking, everything would cease to exist. Everything you observe in a very real sense is a word from your God. And what are these words saying to us? That's what we discover when we ask the question, why? Why? Here we come to the limitations of physical sciences. Who understands the human eye better? The optometrist evaluating eyes or a lover staring deeply into the eyes of another? The former can answer the question, what? The latter is starting to explain the question, why? Why? What a vexing question we have always asked. Why is there something rather than nothing? And more importantly, why does the something that exists exist? Why? Our Psalms answer. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, the sky proclaims his handiwork. Could it be as simple as the why behind all of existence is God showing off? That's what the Bible says. The universe is his canvas which he has filled with living art, showcasing the glory of the artist. Every narrative of nature is about God, a living, breathing display of God's glory. The answer to the question why, pressed to its rightful end, always says something about God and his glory. That childlike instinct to view a sunset and say, good job, God, is not an immature and adolescent response. We receive it as cute in its naivety, but perhaps we should receive it as profound in its clarity. Maybe we, the enlightened and educated, have much to learn from our children's experience of this world. That's what the psalm is claiming. There, there is much to see if we can see with childlike wonder of good job, God. God is vast and transcendent. Do you know how I know? I've stood under the star-filled sky of a cloudless night on an island in the British Columbia, the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and I've witnessed it for myself. God is beautiful and lovely. How do I know? I've driven down a country Kentucky road in the fall and seen these trees on fire with colors and witnessed the rolling hills of bluegrass horse farms. God is tender-hearted and compassionate. How do I know? I've watched mothers holding their nursing babies at their breasts. God is mighty. He is not to be trifled with. How do I know? I've hiked to the peaks of Colorado's mighty mountains. And on and on, I could go because creation is constantly pouring forth speech. Speech that tells of its creator's glory. And we as Christians should be very fluent in this language of God, by the way enjoy creation and let that enjoyment always end in good job, God. But creation is not the only thing testifying. Psalm 19 then transitions from the words of creation to the words of Scripture. You'll notice David's language is taken up a notch. He certainly has a high view of creation, but when he begins to talk about Scripture, his words speak of flawlessness Listen to these statements from verse 7. The law of the Lord, in, in, the, in the Older Testament, the law was synonymous with the scriptures, the, 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 the written word of the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commandments of the Lord is pure. The rules of the Lord are true. This is lofty language. It reveals a firm, deep-seated conviction that your Bible is, in fact, the very Word of God. His perfect, sure, right, pure, to use these words, revelation to mankind. So, whereas creation reveals God in implicit ways, Scripture reveals God in explicit ways. Theologians call creation general revelation and Scripture special revelation. Your Bible is given as a special revelation of God for a special purpose— speaking to us in a way nothing else in all of creation can. Look again in verses 7 and 8 and see the special purpose that we find from Scripture that we don't get from creation. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. Do you see How David believes there is something Scripture offers that nothing else does. A revival, a wisdom, an enlightening that is found nowhere else. So in creation, we see clearly that there is a God. In Scripture, we discover who this God is. In creation, we find a longing for God. In Scripture, we find that answer to that longing. In creation, we sense this unworthiness guilt and shame. In Scripture, we find how to be free of these. In creation, we know that we ought to live a certain way. In Scripture, we discover how we ought to live. And because this is such a unique revelation and testimony, it is to be treated as precious and desirable above all else. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Do you desire your Bible more than your finances, more than your possessions? Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Do you desire your Bible more than the sweetest pleasures of life? Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Do you believe your greatest reward in life is found in obedience to that book? Because God has revealed his ultimate purpose in your Bible, your Bible is worthy of your ultimate love and desire. And so the application... Could not be more obvious. Do not neglect your Bible. So many people are wanting to hear from God while their Bible's collecting dust. And I, you say, no, you, don't, you don't understand what I'm saying. I actually want to audibly hear from God. Okay, there are apps that will read the Bible out loud to you these days. The longer I minister, the more I find myself returning to the basics. God has given that book a purpose which nothing else has. You cannot find it anywhere else. So it is impossible to flourish as a Christian. It is impossible to flourish as a human being apart from your Bible. So let's not make this more complicated than it needs to be. Stop neglecting your Bible. God's definitive word to you and your life. Study the Bible, meditate on the Bible, memorize the Bible, and most importantly, obey your Bible. You will never, ever regret making the Bible central to your life because the Bible is what it claims to be, the infallible word of the Lord. Okay, so we've looked at the words of creation and scripture. Now the psalm takes a seemingly unexpected turn when you read it in its flow. Let's look now at the word of his image. Verse 12, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Where did that come from? It's like his poetry just gets ruined. He's been elegantly praising God's creation, God's word, and then it suddenly turns into this tragic lament and and passionate plea for forgiveness and repentance. This is what's going on. The glory of God's creation, the glory of God's scripture, only heightens David's awareness of his failure to glorify God. Psalm 19 is about the three ways in which God has revealed himself for his own glory. Creation, scripture, and his image. Creation, fulfilling its purpose, saying what God intended it to say. Scripture, fulfilling its purpose, saying what God intended it to say. Then David looks inward. And is overwhelmed with his failure to be whom he was created to be. To do what he was created to do. To testify in a way he was created to testify. Overwhelmed with his failure to glorify God. And what is so tragic is that we image bearers of God above everything else. We are the greatest word of God about his glory. Psalm 19 traces the hierarchy of revelation. Creation, Scripture, then us. To us alone belongs the noble title of Mago Dei. We are living, breathing words of His image. Icons of the divine. His representation, His reputation, His authority, His ambassadors within His creation. Perfectly reflecting His glory so that you should be able to look at humanity and say that's what God's like. And yet David laments the sad tragedy that he has failed to do the one thing he was created to do. And we are all familiar with David's shame. You were created for one and only one purpose, soli deo gloria, the glory of God alone. And we have failed. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, we tend to think of consequences of sin only horizontally. What does my sin do to others and what does it do to me? But we confess our horizontal sins vertically, which when you think about it is a strange practice. Would you find it strange if you harmed Mac and I said, oh, I forgive you. It was an offense against Mac, not me. So Mac should be doing the forgiveness, not me. But if you were to harm Mac, you should say, I'm sorry to God. Why is that? Because sin, first and foremost, is against God, a violation of God's image. You see, here's the reality. Our calling, our nature As image bearers of God is inescapable. That cannot be denied. We are reflecting Him, whether we want to or not. Now, what a weighty thought that is. As His image bearers, you are constantly making a statement about the God whom you image. If we are hateful, then we are saying God is hateful. If we are greedy, then we are saying our God is greedy. If we are unjust, then we are saying our God is unjust. If we are manipulative, exploitive, harmful, abusive, then we are saying our creator is manipulative, exploitive, harmful, and abusive. And brothers and sisters, that is not our God. People are supposed to look at our lives and say, good job, God. But instead, they often, with good reason, are tempted to say, bad job, God, or worse yet, bad God. Our sins turn people away from God because of the lies our sins tell about our God. Sin twists the image of God and tells a lie about the Creator. That's what we are doing, spreading lies about our Creator. And maybe a good Lenten question for you this month would be to assess your life, asking, what lies is your life spreading about God? Yes, we are all sinners, but personalize it during this season. Personalize your own sinfulness and repentance uniquely. What lies about God is your life telling? Shame on us. Shame on all of us. Creation declares the glory of God. God. Scripture articulates the glory of God, but the ones designed to literally display and reflect the glory of God have rejected His purpose and defiled His image for all to see. And yet the God whom we have offended, the one whose glory we have marred, will not surrender His purposes to our failures. He will be glorified. And that is the purpose of His salvation It's not just you being forgiven for your sins. It's you being changed, sanctified. It is your redemption back to God's original purpose for you as His image bearer to tell the story of His glory. And this is certainly David's hope in our psalm. Of course, he wants God's forgiveness. Verse 12 declare me innocent. Declare me innocent of my hidden faults, but it's more than that. He wants to be different. He longs to join creation and Scripture in glorifying God. Verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. I want to be blameless and innocent of great transgressions. And then it ends with that famous plea. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my God. My rock, my redeemer. That is a cry for fulfilled purpose. In David's view, he will join with creation and join with scripture in glorifying God when the words of his mouth and the meditation of his heart are acceptable in the sight of the Lord. There is so much more to obedience than just avoiding the follies of sin. To obey God is to find and fulfill your destiny. And this is the destiny our gospel offers us. Yes, of course it is true that Jesus died for failures like us. That's true. The the true word of God became flesh to forgive us for the lies that we have told about our creator. All very true, but why people? Why did he do that? Not just for your forgiveness, but for your purpose, for your destiny. Titus 2, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Yes, you can be saved, but it doesn't end there. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us, From all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Zealous to be what we were made to be. Zealous to do what we were made to do. Zealous to be living, breathing testimonies of God that evokes that childlike confession from the world Wow, good job, God. Your virtue is missional, your virtue is your destiny. Why does your repentance and obedience matter? Why is it important for you to tell the truth? To resist illicit temptation? To be kind and generous? To care for the least of these? Why is it important for you to obey God? Is it to avoid the consequences of sin? Is it to soothe your guilty conscience? Is it to just be a good Christian and impress other people? Why does it matter what you do? God's glory is at stake. What you do is making a profound declaration about your God. Therefore, everything you do in public and in private matters. Psalm 19, all things exist for the glory of God. All things exist for us to say, good job, God. We see this in creation. We see this in scripture. May it be seen in us as well. Let me pray for his help. Lord, we want to first say we're sorry for the ways we have failed to glorify you. We want to say thank you for your forgiveness that covers over every single one of those failures. But we want more. We want to glorify you. We want our lives to reflect you. We want to stop telling lies about who you are. We want to start telling the truth. We want people to see in our lives a reflection of the glory of God. We need your strength, God. Would you fill us with your love, your grace, your mercy, and may that overflow into a life of repentance and honoring the God that we were made to glorify. We pray through Christ our Savior. Amen.